This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are coaches really whining more? Or are there more valid things to complain about? It's a good question, Josh. Well, actually, it's not my question. It's your question. Thousands of you. And we will discuss it. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is now, believe it or not, Tuesday, June 20th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We are somewhere between 70 and 80 days away from kickoff of the 2023 season. More news on that coming up within the pod, too. It is a mailbag episode at Late Kick Josh. If you want to get in touch with me, It's probably the most fun thing we do every week. Here we go. Let's start it with Daniel. Daniel hit us up from Kennesaw, Georgia, and he said, are we hypersensitive to Nick Saban's comments because of Bama underperforming? I feel like he's always been outspoken. So what Daniel's talking about is Nick Saban's had a lot to say about a lot of things lately. Most recently, Nick Saban has talked about NIL, and he talked about the possible unionization of college football, and that was at the SEC spring meetings, and we already talked about that. Well, then, lately, Nick Saban went on Joel Klatt's pod, and he said, hey, I'm not necessarily crazy with the playoff selection process right now, and I'm paraphrasing him. We're adding OU in Texas, so any given year, you could play like seven top 20 teams or top 25 teams But then at the end of the season, all people care about is your record, a la you are what your record says you are guy, who we think is a liar sometimes in the world of college football. So anyway, Saban came off as whiny and complainy, according to some, when they listened to that soundbite. I took the rare stance that I actually agreed with you guys. Nick Saban's got the wrong approach on the playoff because he went on to say last year when they told me we would be favored against three of the four teams in the playoff. I thought to myself, why aren't we in the playoff? Well, coach, respectfully, uh, because point spreads aren't how we determine a playoff field. It's really that simple. 
Uh, I had some of you come at me yesterday and say, how are you, of all people, calling out Nick Saban? How are you, of all people, the guy who sits there and says you are not what your record says you are? The guy who trumpets a more accurate strength of schedule metric in college football. How are you calling Nick Saban out when he's making your point? Well, he's not making my point. He's close to making my point, but he did not make my point. So let me give you my point. My point has been for a long time, I don't just believe you are what your record says you are. So on that front, Saban's right. We should look past just record. Tom Fornelli and I were going back and forth yesterday about this. We shouldn't just look at record because this is not pro sports. There is such a gap between your strength of schedule and my strength of schedule that if I play seven top 25 teams and you play two and we both have a 10 and one record or 11 and one record or you're 11 and one and I'm 10 and two doesn't automatically mean you're better than me. We got to look a little bit deeper than that. Or else a robot could decide all this. I don't want to give anyone any ideas. Uh, so that has been part of my argument. And the part of my argument when it comes to Vegas has been there is a central role that odds makers could play in the, in the playoff selection process. But it shouldn't be to tell the committee who would be favored against who. Vegas's role should be providing the committee with a real strength of schedule. See, right now, if you're eight and four and I play you, I probably don't get credit for a good win because you're probably not ranked in the top 25. And therefore, when the committee looks, you don't count as a top 25 win for me. But what if your four losses came against top 10 teams? Well, theoretically, you could be the 11th best team in the country and be eight and four. Again, that's that's an extreme example. But theoretically, that could be the case. Well, Vegas doesn't get fooled by that stuff. Vegas understands and takes that into account. Therefore, they probably have you more accurately rated than the AP does. And so all I've ever asked for is to use the Vegas power rating system, not to determine who's in the playoff, but to determine how strong a schedule actually has been. That's all I want Vegas to be involved with. Well, Nick Saban took it a step further, and a lot of people have taken it before Nick Saban a step further, and they've said, well, if Las Vegas says that Team A, in this case Alabama, would be favored over multiple teams in the playoff, that means Vegas is saying Alabama's better than those teams. And if the key and the goal is to get the best teams in the playoff, why wouldn't we put Alabama in the playoff? Well, the answer is because results have to matter at some point. That's why this is called sport. It's competition. The outcome matters. It's not played on paper. It's played on grass or in some more bastardized versions, turf. But either way, it's played on a football field. Uh, Bama loses twice last year, and yet they still would have been favored against three of the four playoff teams. That's a fact. That's indisputable. Why should that not matter? Because Alabama was favored against Tennessee. They lost. Bama was favored against LSU. They lost. So obviously, a point spread is not the most key indicator in the world of what the outcome of the game is going to be. And you, you don't have to school me on the value of a point spread. I know. You don't have to school me on the value of a power rating. I do them every week in the fall. I know. There have been many, many, many times where I've had Alabama ahead of teams who are undefeated after Bama's lost a game for that very reason. I think they would be favored against them if they play tomorrow, and that's all a power rating is. But I have also said, even though I've got Bama number two right now, I would not put them number two if I were a playoff committee member. And the reason is because outcome has to matter. If outcome doesn't matter, there's no reason to play the games.
And the other thing, for those who want to go down that road, that I want to remind you is, if you think that hypothetical point spreads and favorability on a neutral field is what we should use as the tiebreaker to determine who makes the playoff, I got some news for you. Bama had two losses last year, and they would have been favored against three of four teams in the playoff. Bama could have lost a third game. It came down to the last play against Texas, the last play against Texas A&M. They had close win after close win last year. If they lost a third game, guess what? If we got to the end of the year, they still would have been favored over multiple teams in the playoff. Would we be making this argument again? Would we be saying, well, I know they lost a quarter of their games, but Alabama belongs in. This is a nuanced conversation. It's a very nuanced conversation because you could come to me and you could say, Josh, TCU got blown out in the title game. Don't you want to see a more entertaining title game? Sure I do. That's not the metric by which we choose the field, though. It's like back in 2011, and this went pro-Alabama. Remember when it was LSU-Bama for the title game after Oklahoma State lost late in the year, but there was that big argument. Well, Bama already got their shot. That's not a playoff metric. That's not a BCS metric. Well, well, I think that Oklahoma State would score more points against LSU. It would be a more fun game to watch. That's not, uh, that's not logic that you use to actually determine who plays for a championship. That's just, that's just your opinion, bro. Name that movie, Jesse. So, yeah, uh, Nick Saban's kind of wrong about that. But he has, he has some truth And he has some logic woven into overall, I think, an incorrect argument. So in other words, he's got the proper logic. He made the wrong conclusion. And um, as for Daniel's question, are we are we going at Nick Saban a little bit more lately? I think he's been outspoken a little bit more lately, but I got to give him credit here. You knew I was going here eventually. I got to give him a little bit of credit. Saban's not the one coming up with this stuff off the cuff. When it comes to NIL and the portal, the mess got made. He's just addressing it. When it comes to the playoff selection process, in some cases, the future mess is being made. He's just addressing it. Whether I agree with him or not, he's addressing it. It's not like he's sitting there in a bubble and there is no problem and he's just throwing out solutions. You know, the people, for example, who want to shorten college football games, those people are throwing out solutions where there's no problem. Or if there is a problem, they're the problem for making commercial breaks too long. That's not the case here, so... Yeah, people are going after Nick Saban a little bit, and yeah, he's been outspoken a little bit more. I also think uh, there's a self-preservation mode, so there is a selfish aspect to that, but I also don't think it's 100% selfish. I actually do think Saban cares about the game. I think he cares about the sport, and he's speaking out because he doesn't like where it is right now. The end. To be continued, actually. The end to be continued. Chris is in Mountain Brook, Alabama. He said, how would you compare week one games when determining where to take the yet-to-be-named tour, assuming travel and lodging are non-factors. For example, you got Boise at Washington, Colorado at TCU, Virginia at Tennessee, neutral site, North Carolina at South Carolina, neutral site. So Chris is asking, how are we going to determine this? Well, the first thing you need to know, Chris, is I think we've got a tour name, but I'm not ready to announce it. I need to sleep on it a few weeks. Immunity? But I think we've got a tour name. I arrived at that conclusion yesterday. I've got a very small focus group. um, And the members of that focus group have to remain anonymous because you actually know some of them. And for the right price, they would would reveal this kind of information. Make no mistake about it. It's not the most trustworthy focus group in the world. 
But I ran the name past them three for three, four for four, actually. They loved it. So we do have a tour name. You just don't know it yet. Anyway, the tour, for those of you unfamiliar, is what we do in the fall. We go to a game every week. We get to pick where we go. Like Chris said, expenses are a non-issue. Thank the Lord. How do we decide it? Well, we use the same criteria we've always used. We want to be in the presence of the best game with the highest stakes and the most urgency around it every week. We greatly value being on a campus. We detest neutral sites unless it's the Cotton Bowl. That doesn't mean we won't go to one, but we greatly prefer on campus. Um, We also have to take into account the fact that we're trying to see as many teams as possible. So we're not going to go to five Ohio State games or anything like that, especially if you've got a game this week, but we know you've got three more big ones down the line. Sometimes I will err on the side of just assuming I'll see you later in the year. So Chris, that's the answer. I have not decided where we're going week one. And that's where we stand on that front. Next up, Andy from Roswell, Georgia. He said, does Florida appear to be closing the recruiting gap with Georgia? (laughs) Yeah, you're asking me at the right time. At least when it comes to this cycle, it feels like they're closing the gap. Gap was pretty big. So you could close the gap a fair amount and there'd still be a gap. A lot of people had given up on Billy Napier. I know because I talked to a lot of you. Some people accused me of giving up on Billy Napier, to which I said what I always say. I will give you $100 in your Venmo account right now if you go find any evidence of that. Every show we do is archived. Every podcast we do is archived. I don't delete tweets. So if I have said it, it's out there. Go find where I gave up on Billy Napier. No one ever takes me up on it because it's not out there. It doesn't exist. Just kind of fun to say because you don't think I'm going to call you on it. So with Florida being on the run they're on right now, and believe me, it is a run. Florida's on an all-time recruiting heater right now. They're all the way up to number three. Number three in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. Uh, They just I've been trying to update it, and they keep on landing kids. So our content is already outdated minutes after we post it, which is not ideal, but I don't think Billy Napier should care about that. The recruiting gap is still fairly wide only because it takes it takes year over year results. There's only one way you form that. So this is not a knock on Florida. You've got to do it one year, which they're in the process of doing. Then you got to do it the next year and the next year. Uh, Georgia doesn't take a year off is the point. The elite recruiters don't take a year off. There is no year where Georgia's going to finish 14th. It will never happen. Never happen. Kirby, Kirby Smart could sleep three months of the year. And with the other nine months, he would make sure they finish top 10. Having said that, it's a big deal what's happening at Florida right now. And some people are trying to discount it, and I would not do that. It is a very big deal what's happening. Because keep in mind, at Georgia, they can sell results. At Georgia, Kirby Smart can just look at you and say, you're an idiot if you doubt us. We've won multiple championships. We've put multiple guys in the first round of the draft. Not just the draft itself over the past few cycles. So if you doubt us, that's on you at this point. But at Florida, they can't do that. At Florida, they're still in the hope-selling phase. Billy Napier is still in the come here and be part of the change instead of the change already happened, come reap the benefits of it. When you can accomplish that, it's a big deal. Because if you can accomplish that, if you can sell hope, I don't doubt you can sell results down the road. And as of right now, I'm looking at what they have been compared to Georgia. 2021, Florida finished 12th. Georgia finished 4th in recruiting. 2022, Florida 18th, Georgia 3rd. 2023, 
Florida 14th, Georgia 2nd. But right now, Florida's third, Georgia's first. We got a long way to go. Like Alabama hasn't even started to make their move yet. They'll be inside the top five somewhere. But the point is, uh, we, we're also dealing with the thing we always deal with when you get a flurry of commitments. And that is the rival fan bases of Florida saying half of them will decommit. So since I'm in the business of offering bets, you know where I go with that. And I'm going to do it again. Anyone who believes that these kids are going to decommit, I will bet you $1,000 per current commit for the Florida class. You can't select them, though. We got to go the entire class. So if you believe half of them are going to decommit, bet me on it. At the very least, we'll just, we'll just come out even. I believe far more of them than not are going to remain committed. So I think it's a slam dunk. I would take your money. But if you don't, if you think a bunch of those kids are going to decommit, by all means, take my money. I'm trying to give it to you. Take my money from me. Also, no one's ever taken me up on that. Not just with Florida, with any class out there, unless the head coach gets fired, in which case the bet is null and void. And get that in writing beforehand. No one ever takes me up on it. It's just a fun defense mechanism. When your rival starts landing kids, oh, it's not close to signing day. Oh, summer commitments mean nothing. Oh, half of them will decommit. Yes, summer commitments do mean something. No, half of them won't decommit. And I will bet you money if you want to try and prove otherwise. No one ever takes it because they won't. Majority of these kids will sign with Florida. Florida will probably, I think, easily have a top 10 class. Are they going to have a top five class? Let's see. They got a ton of recruiting momentum right now. Is the gap closed? No. It's impossible to close a gap that wide in one cycle. But you can start shrinking the gap in one cycle. And I think that's where Billy Napier and that Florida staff are right now. And they deserve a ton of credit for it. Justin Breckenridge, Michigan. He's next up. Who could be this year's equivalent of Michigan State last year? That means a team that came off a big season with a lot of momentum and they just fall off a cliff and miss a bowl game. Now, Justin, you're asking me to do something I am notoriously against doing in the spring and summer, and that is taking a stance against a team's hopes for this fall. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present you some possibilities but just understand, these are not my predictions. I wait until the last minute to make bad predictions because I don't like them. I am the anti-Brandon Walker, if you will. I like to smile instead of turn it upside down constantly. And therefore, I, I wait until August. I get all the information. But if I think you're going to tank, I'll let you know. So right now, I'm not in that mood. However, there are possibilities out there. Now, I'm going to go with the least likely one first, but the one we have to acknowledge. Tennessee had a huge year last year. Tennessee was on fire. Tennessee goes 11-2 and two, if you count the bowl win. They beat Bama at home. They just arrived on the scene. So they lose their quarterback, uh, and it's, it's hard to stay at that level, period. You also get a lot of focus on you, and they come into this year, their over-under is 9. So missing a bowl game, and even for Tennessee, even in the most radical of down years would be a stretch. But I learned last year, never call a team disaster-proof. I learned that. That's the A&M protocol, as we call it around here. So let's just at least put Tennessee on there. Uh, TCU made the national championship game last year. Their over-under win total is 7.5. That would be the definition of what Meemaw would call penthouse to outhouse. You play for a title, then you lose almost everyone. 
and uh, everyone's focus is on you. So that's the whole crosshair thing. You do something big one year. Everyone works on beating you over the spring and summer. And then come fall, also you have expectations to meet. You could suffer from complacency. This is just generic stuff. It may not be specific to TCU. But they also won a bunch of close games last year. So if your close game luck shifts and you're missing you know, your quarterback and you're missing a big-time receiver and people just are up to play you, hey, you could see a precipitous drop in your win total. Is it going to be five and seven bad? I don't think so. But, you know, it's at least on the radar. What about Purdue? Purdue made the Big Ten championship game last year. And they've got a new coach now. And their over-under win total is five. Hmm. Let's see what happens there. Uh, It's the same thing. I don't feel like repeating myself a bunch. It's the same thing with Michigan State, though. Here's what's different. And this is why I struggle to apply that Michigan State logic to Purdue, TCU, or Tennessee. Michigan State loaded up in the portal, and Michigan State therefore put themselves on a very, very volatile trajectory. And by that, I just mean when you're relying on something like that, it's like like eating sugary foods to sustain you. You just have these wild fluctuations. It's like drinking coffee or a Red Bull in the morning. You're really up, then you could be really down. You could have that caffeine crash or that sugar crash. Well, you could have a portal crash too. Trademark, that's ours now. Don't portal crash, kids. It's terrible. Avoid it. So has TCU done that? Has Tennessee done that? Has Purdue done that? I don't think they've done it to that extreme. Michigan State was kind of the original test pilot case for what happens if you just totally lean on the portal and make no mistake about it. That's where we're going. Oh, you win a lot, but then you may lose a lot. I don't know that these teams fit that description. So this has not been a fun question for me. I don't like going down this road in June or July or August, but I'll do it in August. As for now, let's just keep an eye on TCU, Purdue, and Tennessee. How about that? Next up from Nicholsville, Kentucky, Hobo Delta asks us, what is the high point and low point of your career so far? I thought about whether I should go down a road here because I got this question this morning. So I've been on it for about two or three hours, just been sitting on it wondering, should I tell this story? But I'm going to tell you the story. The high point of my career is right now. That's the high point of my career. Don't think much else needs to be said about that. Uh, The show is clicking on all cylinders and we are probably about to even take it above and beyond what you've experienced and to do that we don't have to ruin any of the authenticity we don't have to reinvent anything we don't have to overhaul anything we got the right people here we've got uh, CBS funding us and giving us resources to do pretty much anything we want to and that's because you have provided an immense return on their investment so for that thank you You are responsible for the high point in my career. But that's not the fun part for you. The fun part will be hearing about the low point of my career. Let me ask you something. So where are you at right now? Not in your your physical state. I mean, I know some of you are driving. Some of you are working out. Some of you are on the treadmill. Some of you are at work. That's fine. Some of you listen to put yourself to sleep at night. However we can be of service, that's fine. Just make sure you pick up on the part that you missed because you fell asleep the next morning. But where are you right now in your life? 
Some of you are doing great. Some of you are doing terrible. Some of you have never had it better. Mary Chapin Carpenter had a lyric, you've never had it so good, babe. I've never had it so bad. Everyone in this audience has been on both ends of that spectrum. But where are you right now? How hopeless? For those of you in a bad spot, how hopeless does it seem professionally? I'm not here to be, I'm not here to be a psychiatrist for you in your personal life, although I think this may help. Well, the point I'm trying to make is when you're in a bad spot in your life, you tend to look at the folks in the good spots, in the good times, and you tend to say, that could never be me, or maybe you're envious, or maybe you look at them and you say, they could never imagine going through what I'm going through. Well, that's a paper pop, but I don't have paper in my hand, so I had to hit the chair. If you're in a bad spot right now professionally, if you think you're in a dead-end job, if you're not making a lot of money, and you look at folks who have made it, who are on top of the world, and think, oh, that'll never be me, and they could never imagine what I'm going through, let me tell you a little story. We don't need to go back very far. We need to go back to, let's say, 2016. 2016, there was a lot of turnover down at the news station I was working at in Columbus, Georgia. And what we had started to do there, most of you know my story, uh, I, I came up for my contract renegotiation. They weren't going to let me do my own college football show. So instead of re-signing and making what I was making, which was about $30,000 a year, I opted to just do independent contract work. And that meant I was going to work for them for $300 a week to anchor the news. So making no money, but in exchange, at least I was going to get studio time three nights a week for one hour. And that's where we started Late Kick. We started doing it on our own YouTube channel. You know that story. Well, here's what you don't know. It got worse than that financially for me. In fact, I didn't even tell the people down there. Bradley was with me. I don't even think he knows this story. I get called in the interim news director's office one day, and he tells me, you know, we're just going to go a different direction with our morning news. And basically what he was telling me was I was not good enough to be on air for him in market 124 at the number three station in the market at 5 a.m. I'm not good enough to be on air. Now, he was wrong, and I knew he was wrong, and I knew he was foolish. And since then, he's been through multiple jobs. This dude had no clue how to beat himself out of a wet paper bag intellectually when it came to running a news station. But he was the boss at the time, and I had to adhere to his methodology. And so, I'm out of a job, period. Think about making 300 bucks a week to anchor news and then having that taken from you because even then, we're paying you a little bit too much. You're delivering a little bit a little bit less than we find to be our standard here. And so, yeah, um, that's 2016. That's going into 2017. That is within the last six years, well within the last decade. I'm taking off air and making 300 bucks a week. I'm making nothing. I got evicted from my apartment. I, um, I had a ton of debt, ton of it. Had no clue what I was going to do. One day, I will read you the journal entries, because I was keeping a journal. I still do. I highly recommend you guys do that. There, there are some of the bleakest pages you will ever see in that journal from me documenting my current mood, my current state of mind, my current existence and the circumstances at hand. And there are several pages in there where I conclude with, I have no clue how this could ever work out. I have no idea. Just totally like put it in God's hands, but as for me and how far I can see around the corner, I don't know how this is going to work out. 
hey, it worked out. It worked out because I didn't give up. That sounds like motivational speaker talk. You know, it sounds like something your guidance counselor tells you. No, I promise you guys, it works. If you really just keep chopping on the tree, even though the tree doesn't feel like it's moving, it works eventually. And especially if you're applying yourself in the areas where you do have passion, you do have talent. I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld talk the other day about his routine back in the day, you know, even before he blew up, but then when he blows up and he was talking about how he's, he's never not working and he's never not working on material and he's never not formulaically in his mind putting together a set. And someone said to him, that's got to be torturous. And he said, oh, oh, it is. It is. The key is find the torture that you can tolerate. And that's exactly what college football in this show is to me. I don't even view it as torture. Frankly, it's fun to me, but there is no off time. It's very little vacation, but this is kind of what you would do if you go on vacation. Most of you go to the beach, you just read college football magazines. Well, I kind of get to live in a college football magazine all year. We kind of get to write it with words all year. But um, it wasn't always like this. You know, I meet new people today in our industry and they look at me and they think I've got a dream job. Oh, I do. I do. But I wasn't born here. Far from it. Far from it. And so this is the high point. But the low point was not that long ago. So when you meet me and or you listen to me, because a lot of you meet me multiple times a week via this show or this podcast, and maybe I sound like I come from a little bit different angle, and maybe I don't dress quite as fancy as the host over there or the host over here. I'm not knocking them for their approach. I just know where I came from, and it is fresh in my mind. And um, not knowing where a meal is going to come from is a feeling I'm familiar with. And so living, you know, the living the mountaintop is made all the more precious as an experience when you can still see the valley over there. That's how that's how recent that is. So that was the low point in my career. It'll work out whatever you're going through. It'll work out just like this. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I got to admit, I can't lie to you guys. I think the ad toss was a little bit too predictable today. And I promise you I'll do better next week. I don't like when you know that it's coming, uh, immunity, but I think you saw that one coming today. I'll do better next week. You're welcome. Made it easy on you this week. Andy is next up from Cleveland, Ohio. He said, what is the quarterback competition you're watching closest heading into fall? Well, I got a a few of them. Ohio State, I think everyone has to have their attention on that. I mean, this is a bona fide playoff contender. This is, I guess I would call them a co-favorite to win the Big Ten. The difference is, They're a co-favorite with Michigan, and everyone knows J.J. McCarthy. And even with Penn State, Drew Aller is a new starter, but everyone knows he's starting there. At Ohio State, we don't know. McCord, Brown, we don't know. I I really believe the staff doesn't know. I think they have a good idea, but I think this will play out into fall camp. It's one of those situations, though. We've seen it with the powerhouse teams a time or two, where you know, no matter who the starting quarterback is going to be, Boy, they got a lot of weaponry to work with around them. And Ohio State's got a rapidly improving defensive unit too. So I don't look at it as a weakness. I think one of the big lies in football is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. Sometimes it can be true. Not all the time. And especially when you're dealing with the Ohio States of the world or, or Clemson or like one of these big perennial recruiting powers Uh, Texas is doing this right now. Sometimes they're just good enough to stack multiple quality quarterbacks. Will that be the case in Columbus? I don't know. I just know it has been in the past. It's been that way at Alabama too. Speaking of Alabama, actually this one may be the most intriguing. This one we really have no clue where it's going to end up. So much so that Nick Saban goes in the spring and that was the time where we were supposed to learn something. Remember that? Even I was foolish enough to say At the beginning of April, one of the big things I'm looking forward to is finding out between Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow, who's going to emerge, surely we'll know, by the A-Day game. And it was so much less clear by the A-Day game, Nick Saban went and got himself a third starting quarterback candidate in, in Buckner from Notre Dame, and now it's even less clear. Alabama figured out a way to make their quarterback position less clear through spring practice. But they are still right up there as one of the playoff favorites and SEC favorites as well. Why? Same reason as Ohio State. If you got a half-decent option at quarterback, all the pieces are around them. I really don't know where the skill is in predicting this. I really don't. I have very reputable people around that athletic program that say different things. Ty Simpson, if you guess him, they'll say, well, he's not quite as demonstrative a leader as the other guys. Well, who is? Oh, Milrose, kind of an alpha dog. But 
Uh, his passing, we could take it or leave it, could be hit or miss. Well, what about Buckner? Well, he's Tommy Reese's chosen candidate, but he's got the least familiarity with the program. So who knows? Whomst knows? That is a key quarterback battle. You can also go over to Ole Miss. Ole Miss, probably going to be a little more off the radar nationally. Not as much is expected, but they got Spencer Sanders, who came in there from Oklahoma State. I, you know, I don't know that many people remember that, by the way. You should, but I don't know that many people have that on their radar. Jackson Dart is there, and Walker Howard. They also went and got him from LSU. And, I mean, we got kids reclassifying up two grades to come in there and compete. So who knows how this is going to go. There, there are a number of them. Those are just three that I've got my eye on. Think about that. Two are in the SEC West alone. And two out of the three heavily are going to be involved in determining the college football playoff picture. So give me Ohio State. Give me Bama. Give me Ole Miss. That is not an exhaustive list. Moving right along. Uh, Shantry asked, what are the chances of the Pac-12 being the best conference this year? Well, that's not going to happen, Shantry. That doesn't mean I'm down on the Pac-12. There's a difference in it's going to be exciting versus it's going to be the best. And there's a difference between it's going to be the best to watch versus it's going to be the best. The best means you got to have dominant line of scrimmage play. Point blank. They don't have it out West. They've got good quarterback play, or they should. They do not have dominant line of scrimmage play. They don't have enough talent to recruit from. The talent pool has dried up when it comes to O-line and D-line. Even USC and Oregon, who get to recruit basically their pick of who's on the West Coast, they've acknowledged, we got to go East. We got to go to Texas. We got to go to the South to get linemen. And some of those other programs don't have that luxury. They just have to recruit their backyard. The Arizona schools... Uh, Utah, Oregon State, Washington, they may look good to you against other Pac-12 teams. I think we all understand if they go up against Georgia, it's an entirely different story. That's why Oregon stacking the defensive line talent they're stacking is such a big deal to me because no one out there is doing that. Even USC is not doing it depth-wise the way Oregon is. But as a, as a conference as a whole, now, you're barking up the wrong tree if you're trying to get me to say the Pac-12 is going to be the best conference. Now, if we wanted to go a different route and we wanted to say which one's going to be the most fun to watch this year, I think the answer may be the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 this year could be the Big 12 from last year. You never would have heard me say, oh, the Big 12 is the best conference in the country this year. You would have heard me vehemently push back if someone started to crap on the Big 12 last year, confusing it with just any other year. Last year was not any other year in the Big 12. That's why I think TCU actually belonged in the playoff. Did they get smoked? Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that they deserve to be there in my mind. And that's because I think they went undefeated in the regular season in a very competitive conference. I think the Pac-12 could look the same way this year. Moving along. This one comes to us by way of Jerusalem, Israel. Nathan said, why does everyone think Luke Fickle will do so incredible in year one? I'm sure he'll be good, but it seems like a lot of people are picking Wisconsin to destroy the Big Ten West in his very first year. It just seems overly optimistic for year one with all the changes. Well, Nathan, I know Wisconsin is the favorite in the odds market to win the West, but they're not an overwhelming favorite. In fact, there is no overwhelming anything other than mystery in the Big Ten West. And enjoy that, because this is the last year we will say Big Ten West 
they do away with divisions next year. Um, I don't think that this is true, Nathan. I appreciate the question. And I do think maybe most people will pick Wisconsin. When people pick Wisconsin, here's how it's going to sound. I guess I'll take Wisconsin to win the West. I don't think you're going to have many people say, Wisconsin by 30 every week. Book it, boys. Bet money you don't even have on Wisconsin because you won't have to worry about losing. I don't get that sense. I've not heard that from anyone. Jesse, have you heard that from anyone? I don't think I've heard that from anyone. What I have heard is trepidation. I've heard cautiousness. And Nathan, the way I see it, and if I pick Wisconsin, the way I'll pick Wisconsin is almost because there's a lack of another quality option. What is Iowa offensively this year? Illinois, are they really going to go from being a good story to challenging to win a division? Is Purdue going to be there again? Matt Rule in year one has not been a guy who's exploded on the national scene at jobs he's had. It's normally been year two or year three. So is he going to do it this year? P.J. Fleck in Minnesota? Is that who's going to overtake him? If any of the big three in the East were in the West, that would be a slam dunk, definitive, overwhelming favorite. Wisconsin's not an overwhelming favorite. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination I've heard anyone say that. So that's where I am on Wisconsin. They're the favorite for a reason. And Luke Fickle's very, very good. But yeah, there is a lot of change up there. Yeah, you're installing a brand new offense, which I'm excited to see, by the way. And they got, they got Tanner Mordecai pulling the trigger at quarterback. Some, some people think they're very underrated at receiver. I, I'm just ready to see the reaction in Madison when there's a game where they actually throw the ball more than they run it. I don't know if this ever happened up there. All right, uh, moving on from Sterlington, Louisiana, AJ asked, do you think an eight game playoff is a better format? Well, AJ, I don't think any expanded playoff is a better format, but in the world we're in right now, in the 12 team, well, the world we will be in, the world we will be in is 12 teams, six auto bids for the highest ranked conference champs and six at larges. Sure, I'd take eight. I'd take anything that's smaller than 12, but what is the eight? Because even when we talk about this, there's a lot of disagreement. If we had an eight-team playoff, should it be the five Power Five conference champs and three at-larges? Should it be five Power Five champs, one G5 spot, and two at-larges? I'm not for any of that. I don't like auto bids at all. I don't believe in them. So any playoff field, I think, should just be the top fill-in-the-blank number of teams. Six, eight, twelve. 100, however big your playoff is, just give me the top teams. I get disagreement on that from people who say, well, you've got to make conference championship games matter. They always did. We did a segment a couple of weeks ago about the Florida versus Alabama 2008-2009 SEC title games. And I was talking about how I thought that was as big as college football has ever felt to me. Uh, back in, I think it was 09. It may have been that same season, 09. Remember, Texas played... Nebraska, Indomitian Sioux was at Nebraska, and Texas barely squeaked by in that Big 12 championship game. Uh, we had the 07 season where Oklahoma beats Missouri in the Big 12 championship game. That keeps them out of the BCS title game. W when are you telling me conference title games didn't matter? No, you screwed that up when you went to the expanded playoff, and one of the very predictable ramifications was, uh-oh, people care about conference title games less now. Well, how do we manufacture people caring again? Oh, we'll just expand the playoff more and we'll make you win your conference if you're going to have a top six seed. Well, that's lame because not all conferences are created equal. And if we're in a tournament where we're just trying to decide the best teams in the country 
and the field is 12, not one, the field is 12, it's possible for two or three or four of the best teams in the country any given year to reside in the same conference, to reside in the same division of the same conference. And so anyone who said, well, you shouldn't be in the top six if you can't even win your own conference, that's garbage. That's complete garbage. It's a manufactured system to try and manufacture people caring about conference title games. Well, that used to not be a problem. So, so now what we want more of, more of the problem to clean up the problem, whatever. Uh, but as for the question, yeah, I'd love it. If you wanted playoff expansion, you know what I was on board with? I didn't want to expand it, but if you wanted to expand it, I thought a six-team playoff with the first two getting buys, I thought that would have been fun because that would incentivize, obviously, locking down a top seed. It would have given you your precious expansion. It would have given you the concept of having a first-round buy, and you could have had first-round games on campus. I thought that would have checked all the boxes, but nope, we couldn't do that because it didn't guarantee enough seats at the table for underachieving conferences eroding more and more by the day to have a guaranteed spot there. It shouldn't be on me to guarantee you anything. Go earn your way in. How about that? That's, that's why I cannot be on the playoff committee because I'm too real about this stuff and I am not for manufacturing a little sandcastle where everyone's got a room and it doesn't matter how bad you suck during the year. Someone deserves a chance from your conference. No, they don't. No, they do not. In the JP playoff, at least. In the real world playoff, I guess they do. Was that negative enough for you? Next thing up, all things indie from Lancaster, PA. Important questions here. Listen closely. Can you drop the white t-shirt brand or your workout split? And another one of you asked, why won't you tell the story behind your white t-shirt? As you can see, if you're watching the little, actually you're not watching because this isn't on air. Uh, But if you were watching the show right now, if you're watching the podcast, I don't wear the white t-shirt to do the Late Kick Extra Pod. I don't wear the white t-shirt when we're on the road. I only wear it in the studio. Uh, There are a few reasons for that. I'll give you one reason. Because it kind of goes back to a story I told about 20 minutes ago on this pod. When we started doing this show, and I was not contractually allowed to have creative control. I didn't have that luxury. I didn't have that leverage. I had to dress the way people said I had to dress. I had to do the format the way people said I had to do it. And that's, that's the breaks, okay? You don't get to come out of the gate calling the shots. Well, I've always thought it's dumb to get dressed up in $5,000 suits to talk about sports. I've always just conceptually, I've never gotten it. Yeah, I'm all for you dressing however you want to. I've always thought it was dumb. Like when me and my buddies talk about sports, we're never wearing a three-piece suit. Never. Nor are you. So why would people dress up to talk about it to me on TV? Well, that's the way it's been done for a thousand years. I have always believed it's unnecessary. And so I always told myself, when, when I get my own show, I'm going to dress however I want to. Well, I tried that. And I got pushback on it. Uh, once upon a time, I got pushback on it. And so I had to wear, you know, a sport coat on air. It felt stupid because I was talking about college football. I mean, it, I don't really think that you need to be looking at me saying, oh, that's a nice jacket when I'm telling you why I like Auburn minus the point Saturday. But it, ha- it happened. And so I made it a point, told myself, when there is a day 
when I can dress how I want to, I'm going to be emphatic about it. I'm going to make a statement with it. Because I told management at the time, I said, you should just let me wear a white t-shirt every night. The audience doesn't care, was my message. They care about the quality of content. They care about you talking about what they want and bringing you the information and entertainment and intel they want. They don't care about what you're wearing. In fact, on a show like this, they might as well close their eyes, or as you would call it, a podcast. Like the visual doesn't even matter to them. And I knew I was right because I was one of you. I knew I was right because I think the same way you guys do. So lo and behold, we get to where we can do our own show. I said, you know what we're about to do? I'm about to wear a white t-shirt every show. I've never stopped. And guess what? Our numbers have only gone up. Because as it turns out, you really don't care what people are wearing on air as long as they're bringing you what you want. And by the way, if I put on a tuxedo and deliver a terrible show, you're not going to tune in, nor should you, nor do I when it comes to well-dressed people who put out stuff I don't like. So that's the white t-shirt. That's, that's one of the reasons for the white t-shirt. As for the workout split, very quickly here, do legs twice a week. I do a six-day workout split. I go legs, chest, back. Legs, shoulders, arms. On arm day, I do buys, tries, and forearms. You do not need to do isolation bicep day. If you're doing, if you're doing back the way you should, you're working your bicep enough and your arms are getting enough work to where you don't need to be overly emphasizing those things. Do arms one day a week. So leg, chest, back, leg, shoulder, arm, start over again, leg. Get yourself a ton of protein and uh, you're probably going to be good. Oh, by the way, why are you guys waiting hours after you leave the gym to eat? Have the protein in your bag in the gym. You ought to be drinking that protein before you ever get out of there. When you've torn down that muscle, it is imperative that you feed it as soon as you can. Hydrate and get your protein before you even leave the gym. Get it in there. That's all the advice I have for today. Next up, the angry pigskin asks, will there ever be an episode of Late Kick that isn't jam-packed? No, there will not be. That's the answer to this question. No, there will not be. That's all I wanted to say about that. We've been doing an hour and a half per show lately, and numbers have been good. You haven't been tuning out. I mean, what else do we have to do? This is our only job. It's not like I have to go talk NBA free agency after the show. So yeah, we're going to be jam-packed as long as you will allow us to be jam-packed. Uh, AM from Boulder, Colorado said, is Deion Sanders the most divisive personality in college football, even more so than Dabo and Jimbo, who you've already touched on? Let's talk about the word divisive. I had to look divisive up earlier today. And you know what? I've got a laptop in front of me right now. So I'm actually going to look it up even as we're recording. Because here's the thing. I think the word divisive or the feeling, let me, let me rephrase, the feeling I get when I say the word divisive, is different than the definition. The definition of divisive is tending to cause disagreement or hostility between people. When you tell me a person is divisive, I think of them as being a bad person. But in reality, someone being divisive is not necessarily indicative of them being a bad person. So by the letter of the word and its definition, Deion Sanders is a divisive person. But it doesn't make him a bad person. It just anybody who is a change agent is going to be divisive. When I think of divisive people, I think of like if someone were to walk in a room and say, I don't like any of the women in here just because they're women. That's a bad person. That's divisive. If someone comes in and says, 
I like spaghetti. And people start fighting amongst themselves because half of the room doesn't like spaghetti. Not a bad person. They just like spaghetti or paschetti, as Meemaw would say. Uh, Dion walked in and said, I am going to overhaul a roster and I'm going to use NIL to do it. And I'm going to use the portal because the rules will let me. A.K.A. the college football version of I like spaghetti. And then a bunch of anti-spaghetti folks started yelling back, you're a terrible person, Dion. Well, he's not a terrible person, but he is a change agent and he is overturning the college football table. Some people like it. Some people don't. I, um, I'm just fascinated by it. I am a rare commodity, I guess, much as I am with Jimbo Fisher. I'm just sitting here watching. I've, I, I actually kind of love Dion. I'm just indifferent on Jimbo. I kind of I love Dion. Uh, but if it works out, if it doesn't work out, either way, we'll learn something. I think the biggest shock in college football this year would be if Colorado just wins six games, which would be a huge overachievement everybody's going to look at his model, including some of the people who criticized it, and say, uh-oh, let me backspace over my criticism. I may need to go about that. Especially new coaches. Because new, new coaches have the opportunity to do things that established ones don't. There are some NCAA rules that allow you to do things your first year on the job that subsequently you can't do when it comes to roster management and reconstruction. So new coaches, you know, you get fired today. Let's say you've been critical of Dion. You get fired today. You get a new job two years from now. And by that time, Dion's winning big using his approach. You're going to employ some of his approach. There's no doubt about that. You look like a hypocrite in the process, but there's no doubt in my mind that a lot of people who are critical of him now will end up using his approach if it works. That's a tale as old as time. Criticize it, then steal it once it works. So I guess he is divisive. I just don't, I think divisive, I think we should have another word. It's like turf toe. I think we should have something that sounds worse than turf toe to describe turf toe. Because turf toe sounds minor. Yet if you've ever had turf toe, it's terrible. Well, divisive sounds terrible. But divisive people are not always terrible. Sometimes, sometimes they're doing something that needs to be done. And some stubborn people are actually the problem in the room. Hmm. Think about that. Hey, do me a favor while you're listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. I put out the challenge the other day on the YouTube channel. I'll put it out here too. 200,000 subs by the time we kick off. That's what we need. Why do we need it? Because I just want to get there. And there's, there's no more pure form of motivation than that. We're all in this together. We always have been, always will be. That my pinky promise to you. So do me a favor. Sub to the YouTube channel and the pod and then get five of your friends to do the same thing. Because let's be real, they need it whether they know it or not. Until Thursday night, that's when we'll come to you with Late Kick Live on that YouTube channel. You'll get the pod here Friday morning. Until then, for Bradley the Associate, for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 